I'm your host, Mike, and thank you for joining me for this episode of Amateur All Tours. Joined back with me, Jay Skipworth. We're going to continue our journey through the decades after a little bit of a hiatus, but we're, uh, you know, life got in the way, but we're starting the new year off right, and we're going to get back into our journey through the decades with uh, Chinatown, 1974. First off, Jay, how you been doing, man? I haven't uh, talked to you in a few months, but like I said, life's been getting in the way. Yeah, no, Mike, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on again. Been uh, been doing stuff with Filmstrip, but like you say, a lot of life, uh, moves new jobs you know, all that kind of stuff so lots of lots of stuff going on but um glad to be able to continue this so we're you know picking back up in the 70s here so getting more back into when i was actually part of the earth though i was not born when this movie was made contrary to Bob's belief. Uh, but yeah I'm, I'm excited to get back into uh to our decades discussions and uh, see what we roll with here in the next, uh, next few months yeah and so as a refresher all of these films were chosen by you for one for each uh one for each decade starting from 1900 to pretty much uh what do we went the 2010s I believe? yeah we went into the 2010s but now that we're three years into it we probably could there's there's stuff in the last two years that i haven't seen that or three years i guess that everybody's you know raved about that that's the other caveat is it's got to be like considered a one of the top or most important films of the decade and something i've never seen which are three things that are sort of hard to find but uh, yeah. oddly <laughs> enough i'm finding more of them but uh yeah, that's that's what the criteria that we were putting together. And we've had, we, I mean, we've done a little bit of everything. We've done some sci-fi, we've done uh, some comedy, we've done drama, we've done you know some action kind of stuff. And now we're getting into, I get, we've done, I guess, more of anything. We've done a lot of film noir. And uh, as such, a, as, as someone who's a big fan of film noir, I'm sort of surprised at some of the ones that I haven't seen, and particularly this one being one of the big ones of, of i guess you'd say more modern noir though the movie's 50 something years old so it's hard to kind of say that anymore but in, at one point in my lifetime this was you know a kickoff of the modern era of noir yeah and that's what i was i was surprised when we were talking about movies and this was one that came up that you had never seen now i had never seen it either but um i i felt like it's brought me back to our conversation about um way back uh, on film strip when we talked about the sound of music where mm. you kind of knew you were saying you knew the film through like pop culture osmosis i felt mm. like i i well at least i thought i knew this film through uh through the, you know pop culture osmosis as well but i found out that i did not know this movie as well as i thought i did um but I, yeah I, this was a film that i was surprised that you hadn't gotten around to yet yeah, it was, it's one of those that I've been meaning to to check off forever, you know, and then for whatever reason, mostly just when I have time to actually watch something, I'm usually watching something for film strip or I'm, you know, watching it just because I want to and I don't have to think about it anymore. So it, it's just one that I thought, oh, I'll get to that. And it like stayed in like a lot of saved queues on different streaming services and stuff through the years. And finally was like you know what i need to just check this one off and then we cooked up this idea and i said well you know what i'll save it because i definitely have one for the 70s because i know chinatown's considered to be one of the best you know of of the genre and of the era and it's one of nicholson's big ones and you know polanski and all that stuff and so i said well okay this will be a fun one to finally check off but you know i feel like i knew a lot about this movie but like you i um 
I realized I, I didn't. I, I knew the punchlines and a couple of scenes, but I didn't really know what the story was. I didn't realize how dark some of this got. And, uh, um, you know, yeah, and uh, people could see your face. And, uh, yeah, I, did, I didn't realize what all we were going into. And I also didn't know that this was something that was written by Robert Town, who's a screenwriter that, if you don't know the name and stuff, you've seen movies he's worked on. He's, I guess, in modern era, he, he's worked a lot with Tom Cruise. And uh, a couple of movies that I really like, Days of Thunder and The Firm, he worked with uh, Cruise on adapting those screenplays and things. And then some of the Mission Impossible franchise and has done a lot of other stuff, too. And, and um, you know, is still with us at, at 88 years old. And has such an incredible filmography. Uh, but uh, yeah, Chinatown and all of that is kind of considered sort of his like gold star. But I mean, again, this is a guy who he did rewrites on The Godfather. And uh, Robert Town is just one of those screenwriters that um, people do recognize. And you know, you know his work, even if you don't necessarily recognize the name. And he's been on a ton of stuff. And, uh, you know, his credit list is massive. But then the, it's the stuff that he's uncredited for. Like most screenwriters, he's doing punch-up work along the way. That you, He has a style. and uh, But I didn't realize that this was one of his things, too. And Because uh, I'm kind of like even setting aside Roman Polanski's problematic you know, history as a person i'm not big on him as a filmmaker i don't really think he's all that great uh, honestly i don't know that he does anything that i just think is it's fantastic but i do think he knows how to take good screen work and get good at performances out of actors and you know you, you couple that in with now having faye dunaway and jack nicholson who are two of the big big heavies of the of the 70s um if not you know even more decades but particularly the 70s um there, there's a lot to to like here and to know about this thing. And then when you get into you know, how it was made and then all, all the stuff and then what the story actually is, it's pretty, it's pretty intricate. Yeah. And it's funny while watching this, there's one movie that I, I didn't even think that was going to come up in this conversation that I kept thinking about. Um, Cause like, this is like, I think that gold standard of like, like, like we were saying, like modern noir, um, where it's like kind of throwing back to, you know, the 40s and 50s that we had already talked about, which I'm glad that inadvertently we were talking about those movies because it was a perfect lead up into this. I don't know if you did that on purpose or. Yeah, I, I didn't, honestly. Like th those came out as we were putting those together. And then I realized I'd, I'd kind of created a little bit of a pattern, but uh, I, I let it go because I thought it's a good idea. Yeah. I mean, it was a perfect segue into all these films. But, um, and then. Chinatown was kind of uh, doing its own play on all of the, the noir tropes and kind of taking it in a new direction. But I kept thinking of uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit while watching this movie, which yeah. uh, which is crazy that I because I was rewatching it not too long ago. And I was like, hmm, this this is this is very similar to Chinatown. And I actually was rewatching um uh, the Red Letter Media's review series where they did um, recently Roger Rabbit and they pretty much thought the same thing, um, which I'm like, oh, I guess I'm not the only one that uh, was thinking this. And they have a more articulate um, reasonings for going back into that. But there's a lot of carryover and crossover that uh, and uh, homages, I should say, played not not so much like the the, the copying. It's more uh, paying homage to that. But yeah, Chinatown definitely threw me for a loop because like i said i i thought i knew the movie and then it goes to places that i was not expecting to go i always knew i always knew the final line forget it jake it's chinatown but i had no context of what was happening and and actually by the end of the movie i guess show my hand a little bit 
when that line was actually spoken, I for a forgot that it was in the movie. And now that I had the added context, I was like, just totally like blown away of just like, I was left speechless with the movie at that point. And I, um, and I remember texting Brian about the movie and he's like, Oh yeah, you didn't know, forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown. I'm like, no, I knew the line, but once you have all of the context of the entire movie, it drastically changed what I thought about and, and how I even just like continued on after the movie. Well, um, e- even so, as you're saying that, you know, because we watched this, you know, a few weeks ago or whatever, and as in the in the middle of the uh, the college football season, uh, a, a YouTube group that I follow called SEC Shorts that does like these sort of three to five minute spoofs on the previous week's Southeastern college football stuff. And they kind of make fun of the fan culture and you know, all this stuff. They did one about, um, it was like a, a police investigation of some team had just absolutely slaughtered another one. And so they kept you know pushing them on it. And it, it, it was really kind of a riff on how it was that sec team's own fault. Cause they're kind of their own haplessness. And as it turns out, they fired their coach. But at the end of it is they make a joke, like, forget it, you know, Jake it's, hmm. you know, and they called it out the, uh, the name of the team. And I got it because I had seen Chinatown. And I was like, ah, I was like, even that, you know, it's like, it still permeates all these years later. And I think that, that line, like you say, people quote it and they, they use it, they pay homage to it. But until you've seen the movie and see it in context of it, you really get like how impactful. I mean, that's a gut punch of a line when you see the movie, if you just quote it the way it is, it's like, oh yeah, you know, it's kind of the shrug and, and you walk off into the, you know, the slow playing saxophone into the sunset. Right. <laughs> but in the context of the movie, you realize like how dour that really is of an ending. And I think that, you know, 70 cinema, Mike, I don't know if it's your experience with it or whatever. That's one of the things that most people talk about up until like star Wars for a lot of like really popular 70 cinema is that it's really dark. It's really dour. And it's because the country and, you know, a lot of things were just sort of in a rough place historically at the time. And people were dealing with a lot of, uh, of issues, a lot of social issues and things like that. And so art reflects that right and you can see it like throughout this one too because there's political corruption there's all this stuff and we should say this isn't set in the 1970s set in the 1930s and it's just the the proof that the more things change the more they stay the same like history just repeats itself about every 30 or 40 years anyway and it's so timely that we've watched this movie about the 30s that was made in the 70s and we're talking about it in the 2020s and it feels so prescient to everything that we live with right now yeah, and I, I do think there's something about, you know, the 70s film movement where, you know, 60s was a lot of, uh, I mean, that was its own renaissance in film. Mm-hmm. And something you hear Tarantino talk about, you know, the, the like every few decades is a renaissance in film. And, you know, they were, I don't agree with the sentiment that uh, they, because they were kind of just sweeping like the t- uh, early 2000s and even like the Marvel craze, like under the rug, like, oh, that's not cinema. I, I disagree. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think it's interesting looking at the the seventy cinema and then why and that and I think how depressing and dour all the subject matter was. I mean, even just looking at like Jack Nicholson's, um, like what what he was his uh, his repertoire through the late sixties, early seventies. There's a lot of a uh, lot of really powerful dramas in, thrown in that mix and that's mm-hmm. why i think i mean now that we're thinking about it why well, i think a lot of people have so much nostalgia for the 80s because it was just more or less a lot of more fun action movies quote-unquote fun action movies they're just like fun stupid movies that the that were actually escapism than 
the right. 70s where you're going to the cinema and you're just watching depressing stories and you're like, wow, this isn't as, you know, this is as this is not as fun as my real life is. But um, but I think there is something to say that about like the context of what is happening in the country while this film is being made and and what the stories, uh, you know, entertainers are actually interested in telling. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess we can get into the movie now. Um, and, uh, so we have our noir film set in the thirties, uh, following our, uh, private eye of Jake Gettys or Gilly. Mm-hmm. I got his name Gettys. right. Gettys. Gettys. Gettys yeah. yeah. And, uh, we start, you know, with him following, uh, what a chief engineer around at the, uh, department of water and power. And, um, and, uh, what well, he's, he's following this guy cheating on his wife. Correct. Is that, mm-hmm. And yeah, he's he's a he's a private investigator, and the trope of private investigators is that they're usually following cheating spouses, right? And so he's he's following that you know this client's cheating spouse. And I think he's I I really like the the choice that he's just so like detached, and he understands what he's doing is sleazy and slimy, and he's like that eh, just part of the job. Like I even think he says at one part, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's trying to dissuade. Um, this guy's wife was like, ah, let sleeping dogs lie. Like this is going to be expensive, which is interesting because, uh, I don't know what that has to say about the character of Jake, but immediately he's trying to dissuade the wife. Like, eh, don't, don't even bother. Like, I'm going to charge you a lot of money instead of just being like, yep, I gotcha. It's going to be X, Y, Z. It's going to cost this much is what I'll do. He's like almost trying to dissuade her from trying Mm -hmm. to well, what he thinks trying to figure out the truth about what's happening here. Um, and I think that's a very interesting introduction to our character of Jake, where he's sleazy, but, and he's trying to let, you know, sleazy guys do what sleazy guys do. But uh, he also is like, yeah, just let it lie. I don't, I don't like, you don't want to get involved in this, you know, and, which I think is a, a theme throughout the movie of just like, you don't want to get involved. And then it just keeps getting more and more involved in, in this, uh, in this plot that is uh gets more and more complicated as the film goes on. Right. I mean, that's, that's the thing is that every, and this is what's kind of neat about this script and this story is generally when you do something like this, you want to drop people in and sort of show people how the, the lead protagonist is going to operate, right? Like we want to give him some context for being a private investigator. And then we launch him into the main plot. Kind of like, you know, they did a lot with the James Bond movies. Like they're sort of catching at the tail end of whatever Bond's doing. And then he launches into the next, you know, mission or whatever that the movie's about. Um, But some of them, it's a prelogue and a a continuation into that same movie. And they do this here. And the fact that they drop in um, Faye Dunaway's character, uh, Evelyn Mulray into this immediately, I don't know. I thought it was a great choice because you at first you're like, oh, they're just kind of putting her in and then she'll just go away. But no, she she's an integral part of all of these things that are going on. So you see him get caught up in a web that he can't get out of very early, even though he wants to desperately because private investigators um, and investigative reporters, I think a lot of times, too, are in the same vein of you can't get emotionally involved in what you're doing, even though that's very hard to do. You have to be able to maintain that cognitive dissonance um, in, in what you're doing. And I mean, Mike, you work in healthcare, so like you understand that concept, right? You, you have to do procedure. You have to go through stuff and not let yourself get caught up in the wave of everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. 
in how I uh, compartmentalize things, especially just like bad news. Um, mm-hmm. I won't get into it here, but like recently, my family has had some uh, some really sad. Like December was not kind to my family, and it was right. interesting just like reflecting on that on that time period. We were recording this in January of 2023, and uh, you know, reflecting on that of that really sad time, just how I responded to it, and. I had to, I almost forced myself to compartmentalize. And I remember in like very one specific moment, I was like, I've been nurse mode now. And, Mm -hmm. and I was like, was that cold of me? Was it, was it, was it response to grief? Was it, I don't know, but I understand that idea of compartmentalization and just kind of distancing yourself to continue. And, uh, and I think coming and after coming back after that experience to this movie and people like this i'm like okay i get it because i think the first time i watched this i was like i get it but that's i think that informs more of the character but now that i have different life experience i'm like okay i understand where you have to have that that uh separation to continue your job um and uh, and I and I and it's interesting because I remember when I forget where I was, but I think it was when I was in either in high school or in college talking uh, about journalism or journalism and investigative reporters. And uh, I think it was probably like some ethics class, and they proposed the question of you know, let's say you are embedded into like a impoverished family, and you're watching children of this family like suffer. They're like, do you involve and ultimately end your story? Or do you just take the back wing and you just the fly on the wall and you just observe it and you write it? And then the question of, is that morally ethical to do that? Where right. You know, like that these kids are suffering and you know, it's wrong, but you have a story to write and you have an expose to get material for. And, uh, you know, that's a conversation in itself, but I think it's really interesting that how deep we see Jake, like get into this role uh, or I guess Jack Nicholson and for the Jake character, like how, you know, that, that, uh, that, that duality of that comes with the job, because I, I don't think that Jake is a, I think he knows what he does is sleazy, but I think he desperately wants to be a good person, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, he just is just wrapped up in the life. You know, I always think of that scene when he's at the barbershop. And uh, there's that interaction with someone that's saying like, oh, you make a dishonest living. And Jake gets in this guy's face. He's like, what are you saying about me? You, th- yeah. you don't think I'm making a- an honest living? And uh, and I think that, you know, he could have easily just been like, ah, like, fuck you, asshole. Like, I don't really care what you think. But he takes right. genuine um, insult to this guy saying that you make a dishonest living, which, you know, argue, you know, everyone can make an argument for it. But I think it's clear, like, what he's what he's doing is not necessarily like morally acceptable from like most of society's standards of what's morally acceptable. So I I think that's just a very deliberate and interesting scene where he, he gets like righteously pissed off. Like, Hey, like, what do you got? What are you saying? Like say it to my face. Right. No, I mean, and that's the thing is, and it's the, it's the balance of a job like Jake's or, or again, I go back to like a, you know, a, 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 reporter or anything like that um how do you justify what you do well if i don't do it nobody's going to say tell these stories nobody's going to do anything about any of this stuff right you know and so uh, you know it it is one of the dilemmas of having do of having to do what you do but it's the same thing that you fall into or you know even i do for what i do is that there's only so much intervention you can legally ethically and morally 
have in a, in a particular situation and you just have to kind of live with it and it sucks, but it's, it's part of life. It's where we live in. And I think what, what we get from Jake in that situation, we understand that while what he does isn't necessarily, you know, comfortable for a lot of people to do, he doesn't do it unethically. And, and that's an important distinction, you know, and it's, it's, it is a distinction with a difference uh, because while what he does isn't, you know, something maybe I would want to do and it, you, how do you sleep with yourself at night? Well, the same way anybody else sleeps with themselves at night when they have to do this really you know, heinous stuff. You know, sometimes you just, you have to, you have to make tough choices and live with it. And the fact that he does go about it in a way where he is dispassionate, you realize he's not involved in it. And that's what makes what happens over the next, you know, 75, 80 minutes of the movie. So interesting because he breaks his rule. He gets involved with it because he gets into this torrid affair with this woman and he's, he's trying to clear her while he's also trying to find out who's done this supposed murder. And there's, there's all this intrigue and everything back and forth. And that's what makes this so neat is you, you see this character that when we were introduced to him, is like, well, he, what he does for a living isn't, you know, great, or maybe it is on the gray scale of morality, but then he allows it to go completely onto one side and he lets himself get cloudy, he breaks his own rules. And it's, it's like if Batman picks up a gun, right? Well, now we've introduced a very different thing, you know, for, for that, that character to do. Um, the, the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, the first two really deal with that idea, mm-hmm. by the way. And, and I think it's what Donner was most interested in when he was making those movies is this like really perfect person, you know, in terms of like morality and justice and all this gets compromised by love. And then what does that mean? You know, yeah. can you change history for one person's good versus everyone's and all that stuff? And, and, and you know, you could you know, give yourself a headache thinking about all that stuff, but that's what this movie asks us to do. And that's what makes town screenplay so neat because we are dealt out the information the same time Jake understands it. And, you know, in, in mysteries and noirs, there's a couple of ways that that gets played a lot of times, Mike, like sometimes the audience is ahead of the protagonist and we're just watching them sort of stumble through it. Or there's times like this one and maybe some of like usual suspects and stuff where we don't know, you know, and we find out the same time they do. And so what happens then on a rewatch is once you know the big twist, which I guess we'll get to in a little bit is can you watch it again and say like, Oh, that's when you should have known or whatever. And I'll say like, I don't think that's a reading of this movie. I think you are, you are let in on just enough info as you need it to get from scene to scene. And when they finally spring it in the end, you're like, Oh, Holy smokes. That was not what I expected to happen. Yeah. And uh, I guess we'll talk briefly about like what the, the overall arcing plot of, of this film is without getting into the very end. Um, So essentially Jake, through his detective reasoning and sleuthing, is that he finds out that uh, members of the L.A. like Department of Water and Power are siphoning water from uh, like throughout the throughout L.A. and trying to like cause artificial droughts to yeah. sell the land cheaply. Yep. And that and that's the big thing. That, well, as we are coming to, uh, that's the mystery. That's yeah. like kind of the conclusion of the mystery because he is. Um, he is following uh, this guy. What I forget the the character's name that he is following, um, but he is following him at at various different points. And I love the just the little details of like sleuthing that he has. Like I really love that detail of you know synchronizing watches, putting it under the car when he has to leave, and then he comes back, picks up the watch, and wherever it's broken is when he left, uh, whatever spot he was at. Uh, watching him at various like dump off spots um 
and then actually being swept away with the water. And we're getting these clues of what's happening here. And then we actually uh, find the body of uh, of this guy that he's been following. Like, oh, he's he's washed up in in one of the uh, in one of the reservoirs, and mm-hmm. uh, and then just more and more from there. Like, oh, you know, the autopsy. Uh, I think the guy's name is Mulray. M- um, no, it, yeah, he's he's supposed to see the, this Mulray uh, woman's husband or whatever is is what he's following, and then he finds the body, right? But he's also sees a police detective there, and what we'll ultimately learn is that the guy didn't drown in the reservoir; he's murdered by Mulray's father, uh, John Houston, in an incredible turn as Noah Cross, but not for the reasons you would think, which is the mm-hmm. overall political and and the land grab reasons. It's part of it. Let's just go ahead and blow it now. Yeah. It's because um, the daughter of uh, of uh, the Faye Dunaway character is uh, fathered by her own father. That's the twist, not her husband. And the husband found out about it, and it was going to blow everything, obviously, because a scandal like that would, even today. So uh, the you know, John Houston kills him in his own like um, uh, little pond in his front of his house, and then throws him in the reservoir because it you know it'll it'll cover it. Uh, more or less but you know jake figures all that out by you know different water samples and things like that and in the process gets his nose cut and all kinds of just horrible stuff but i mean that what i mean I, I gotta tell you like when that revealed itself i literally sat there with my jaw agape i was like i did not think we were going to go there in 1974 i didn't think we would do that i knew 70 cinema was dark i didn't realize it was that risque and that yeah. is a twist yeah, and I think uh, I think my jaw once that reveal was given, my jaw was open, and then mm-hmm. as the movie starts to conclude, I think by the end, my jaw's on the floor of like oh, yeah. how this film ends. And yeah, I was well, yeah, like, yeah, the very end we we could say, but the the twist that gets us there, that <laughs> that was not well. But you know, I say that. And you know, we just did the apartment for the 1960s, which is kind of a funny little wholesome movie, but it's pretty screwed up, man. There's suicide and affairs and all kinds of stuff going on in that and corporate espionage. And so it's not like this is unheard of. It's just uh, it's not what you expect. Right. Because you think like, oh, the, this film is so well revered. How could it be about something so nasty? And I think one thing you learn about Hollywood, man, you know, this is like eh, sometimes they don't mind turning the old microscope straight inside and showing you how dark everything is. Hello, Damien Chazelle's entire career. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I haven't I haven't seen Babylon yet, but uh, hold, hold that thought. We'll we'll come back to that another day. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that yet, but something tells me it's going to be very maybe not maybe maybe not as uh, maybe not as uh, dark and depressing as this, but something tells me there's going to be themes of that. Um, but I uh, I I, re- I do want to talk about the filmmaking real quickly because this this entire film is just one big like we talk about one big homage uh, Mm -hmm. to the narrative or the uh, noirs that came before. But I, I just think there's just something about the way that this is the cinematography, the lighting, the music. It's just, um, I don't know if you ever played uh, the video game, LA noir, like, yes, I actually have a copy of it sitting right over here. Yeah. I haven't played it since high school, but I just, Mm -hmm. I kind of want to replay it because now that I've seen all these noirs, I feel like, especially where that game goes, I just I and I know Rockstar is really big on they're like the Tarantinos of the of the video game world. Um they they love having homages to different uh 
very influential uh, films that impact their games. Um, A lot of people think of, you know, Tarantino or just different types of gangster films with their GTA or Grand Theft Auto series. But, you know, after replaying the Red Dead Westerns and getting more into spaghetti Westerns, I'm like, oh, that's that's from Django. That's from uh you know leone that's from corbucci like i'm i'm catching these references that i really do appreciate um because they are genuinely homages whereas tarantino will just straight up rip stuff from movies and like put his own spin on it but um yeah as i'm watching this i can see all like just how influential this movie really was on pop culture to the noir series um but um i am also really like like you mentioned the uh the nose cutting scene mm-hmm. um that was because i think everyone knows uh when they think of this movie they think of jack nicholson post the scene with a bandage on his nose just as mm-hmm. he's all like bruised up and that's how i knew it i mean i even think it's the poster for this film it's it is him. yeah it's can, him just, or one of the can we talk about that for say. a second though as a medical professional because i just wanted to get your take on this because having someone who has cut their nose several times there being be no worse place on your body to be cut because it's it bleeds profusely because there's so many capillaries and things in the nose and there's no good way to bandage an inside of your nostril cut like this is yeah, one of the most awful things i've ever seen i'll tell you you're gonna need some sutures because it's all cartilage and yeah. just putting a bandage over your nose is i mean it might stop the bleeding but he's gonna have just a flap of skin for the rest of his life um and it's also that that scene was just very well done too and i actually watched on youtube it's from quarter digital where they teamed up with adam savage where they tried to recreate the scene mm-hmm. in both ways because they um they're uh, cgi effects like artists and they have series where they respond they watch movie scenes and they say good they it's uh like cgi artists react to good and bad uh cgi uh, they have stuntmen come in and talk about stunt work. It's actually a really awesome series that I highly recommend. Mm-hmm. But they had Adam Savage come in because the whole debate that they have is, you know, they love practical effects, but they say, oh, can CGI make it better? So they, they actually remade this scene with Adam Savage building a prop knife. And uh, they explained the whole way that they did this with, uh, you know, the tip of the blade will retract. Um, they, um, like Roman Plansky, who actually plays, I think he's, it's man with knife. Um, he mm-hmm. had a, um, like a, uh, a canister of blood in his hand. And when he just ripped the, the knife across, he just squirted the blood in Jack Nicholson's eyes. So they did the, uh, or in his nose and his face. And they did the they did this twice. They did it once practically, and then they did it completely CGI. And they t- and they watched the two scenes side by side, and they uh, they just said, in their opinion, what the the uh, positives and the weaknesses of doing both were. And um, so that's just like an interesting tidbit to pair with this. Mm-hmm. But I love the scene. Like it's it's so it it comes out of nowhere in that like it's it, this is when you're like oh the violence is real because the whole mm-hmm. time you like Jack Nicholson as Jake, he is, uh, he's like this fast talker, smooth talker, and he kind of gets his way out of it. But then suddenly it's like, oh no, he can't talk his way out of this one. Um, and, and I think it grounds it even more and like, oh, like there's actual stakes in this now. Like Jack Nicholson is starting to, uh, get involved in something that he might not even understand, like the severity of of where he's at which i and i think it it really is an impactful scene that just adds way more stakes to it all of a sudden 
because you know he's he's you know the police are just saying like oh you know don't go back there and he's like ah yeah 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 talk like talk to the hand whatever and then suddenly you know they come up to or it's not the police but it's like these enforcers and he gets a knife through his nose and you're like oh well it it shows you once you know the full story of the movie right is the level of corruption and who all's involved in, in keeping this done because what's happening is that the power company obviously has hired thugs to sort of protect the territory and the cops are in on it too because they're getting payoffs as a part of all this land deal because the chief's getting it all the way down right it's going to be this big expose and that you know everybody's involved so they're going to turn a blind eye to that side of town or not and i mean as if we didn't all know that that doesn't happen every other day i mean come on that that even happened in my little hometown that i grew up in in north alabama that kind of stuff so it's and and that's what again it's part of what makes that last line such a killer is yeah forget it it's chinatown it's like eh, it's already gone to seed anyway man like you know like they hadn't even been here we shoved all these you know immigrants over here just so we could run our own corrupt deal you can't change the system so just go bandage your nose and it's i mean it's so dour but it also that adds a neat layer to the spider web because the the problem with some film noir man i don't know if you feel like this but i feel like some of these movies go so hard to try to make the web so convoluted that it becomes ridiculous and like i no longer can enjoy it i'm I'm either too lost in trying to figure out what's going on or i don't care because i there's no one to tap into but what makes this work is jack nicholson's performance because he's earnestly like he's in love with this woman but he's also genuinely curious enough to want to know what's going on. And now he's been assaulted. So now he's mad, you know? And so he's got, he's got three different motivations. And as for an actor, that would be really hard to portray those three things at the same time, like being a professional, being someone who's love struck and being someone who's pissed off at the same time. And I mean, he does a really, really great job of it. It's why, you know, if you only know Nicholson again, from his, uh, I guess kind of caricature persona that of himself that he is now, or maybe from everything from Batman 89 forward, you yeah. really have missed the best of what this guy was and, and, and what he could do. And it's why he was nominated for best actor. I mean, goodness gracious, I don't know how he lost it, but I mean, the, the guy was, it was a tremendous performance uh, in this movie. And I, you know, again, we could talk about Oscars another day, but uh, you know, th- this movie had the distinction of coming out the same year as, as Godfather too. So there was, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, it's a tough thing to try to go beat, but he lost to Art Carney, you know, for best actor. He didn't lose to anybody. He didn't lose to Pacino or anybody. He lost to Art Carney. So uh, oddly <laughs> enough. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those times when you just look at Oscars and you're like, what are y'all smoking? Right. But Hey, well, even now, I mean, that like Oscars is another conversation for another day, but it's mm. a, it's a joke, but, um, yeah, but no. And like, especially with Nicholson, you know, I, I think he is just this caricature of, you know, he's still a great actor. I mean, I always think of him in like the departed. I think that's like the perfect blend of him being a caricature, but also just being this like very threatening presence at, that's mm-hmm. very captivating. But, um, I forget, I was talking to someone recently about Nicholson. I think it was like some coworkers and they're just like, yeah, like, you know, and they're a little older and they were really hyper fixated, like, you know, eight Batman 89 and beyond. I'm like, no, like he was a fantastic actor. You know, I mentioned like five easy pieces, one for the cuckoo's nest, mm-hmm. which everyone goes to at least cuckoo's nest. But I'm like, no, five easy pieces is a very su- like subdued, like s- subtle performance. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Chinatown is just, you know, I think one of his greatest films that he's been. Oh, in, I'll, I'll put he is able to balance yeah, what my, you're talking about. My cards on the table now. It's his best performance. I mean, I'll say it right now. I think it's the it's the best he ever did in a, in a storied historic career. It's the best 
performance he got. And there's nothing – that's not saying anything bad about him. I think the guy – is a tremendous performer, but this was the best he did. And, you know, he was always chasing this again. I mean, he even made a sequel to it that he, that he directed himself, which is horrendous, by the way. I was going to tell you right now, two Jakes is not going to be on the, on the list in the future. Uh, cause I, I've, I've seen that now cause I watched it after this cause I had to know. And I, I kept falling asleep in it. it so it was so bad. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but I, I just think that this, this film is, very like it, it is able to really balance that um that new art like you said like it, it keeps adding a layer and a layer to the to the web it's making the the web more and more intricate but you're able to follow it and it's keeping your attention and then mm-hmm. um i guess we can kind of get to the ending now which we which we talked which we mentioned about like the whole what yeah, we can catherine the being the sister and the daughter yeah it, it, Oof. We we have to talk about how he finds that out though, because we can't let this movie slide. We're sitting here praising Nicholson, and there's the this is a really really disturbing moment where he slaps the hell out of Faye Dunaway to get this out of that character. Yeah. And I mean that that is a disturbing scene. Of course, now it would be obviously no one would condone such things, but even then, that was considered pushing it, like pushing it a lot. And to Dunaway and Nicholson have both said they were both incredibly uncomfortable doing that because Dunaway said, you really need to slap me. And he did yeah. a couple of times and uh, like they, they went there and it, it's, it's tough, man. That's a tough place to go as an actor, but it shows how strong they both are to be able to come back from it. But I think what that shows us though, Mike, because you hit on it early with that guy in the bar is giving him hell about, you know, his, his sleazy profession. And he tries to defend it. And then you see what he does to finally get the truth. You're like, oh, maybe that guy in the bar wasn't entirely wrong. Yeah, and that's, like, the one thing about, I guess, saying it with actors. Like, we all, it's funny, like, you know, when actors, like, have freakouts. I think most recently, the two that I always think of with actors, like, freaking out on set. You know, Tom Cruise during COVID, like, during Mission Impossible was like, we are, we're, we're, we're giving people jobs. Like, you got to wear your mask, blah, 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 like, all that. Mm-hmm. And people are like, oh, okay. And then, uh, and then Christian Bale, you know, on the set of Terminator. <laughs> You yeah. know, people are always like, you know, we're done professionally. You're a good guy, but we're done professionally. And, uh, you know, any regular person could see that and be like, oh, like poor rich man or rich actor. He can't get in the set. And I mean, it's on the set of Terminator uh, or what Terminator, Terminator Salvation. Salvation. Yeah. It's, that, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's so like ridiculous at this point that I forget which Terminator movie it's on. But it's because they made so many bad sequels to that series, man. Yeah, and Salvation <laughs> was and it's not like Salvation was, you know, Chinatown. So you can, you um, can make you can make an entire Amateur Archers episode just off of the all the many wrong turns of the Terminator <laughs> series. But uh, where I'm getting at is just like you watch things like this and you know when i went to school and even to a point now um i was i I have friends who are you know they perform in shows they uh some are actors actresses and talking to them uh about getting into the mindset of of uh of their characters um no one has been playing anything like this but you know it's interesting just what some people do to get in that mindset to give a very good performance. Mm-hmm. And and I think this is one of those moments where, you know, I think Jack Nicholson and Faye Dunaway understood to get the severity of the scene and to get that emotion that, you know, Faye Dunaway's like, you gotta slap me. Like, don't hold back. Like, this is going to be very uncomfortable for the two of us, but that's what the scene is. It's not, no one's supposed to be like, 
comfortable doing this and Mm -hmm. and i commend them for putting themselves there and i think as i get older i have a different appreciation of actors and actresses and what they have to do to give those performances especially someone that loves movie that loves uh musical theater that loves theater in general Mm -hmm. and i think that's why i enjoy film so much and i enjoy watching great actors um in their moment because they are willing to go to a spot that i can't go to or am not willing to go to to get performances well, like this and, and i want i want to be clear he didn't he didn't try to knock her out all right oh, you know yeah. like they, they're, they're doing the stage work of it but he he made it very i mean they, together they decided let's make this very close and very uncomfortable because they wanted people to be uncomfortable by it and polanski you know who's a notorious psycho on a set anyway i mean just ask ellen burst sometime um well, how, as, how a, that man, as a person in general too he's well he's, yeah uh, just, it's just yeah he's just not a not an easy person to deal with um roman polanski though who aside of his horribleness as a person is also notorious for being very difficult on the set with his actors and pushing them beyond their limits and really you know driving them to to tears and things like that I, the fact that you know he was pushing them to get that performance too i give them credit for for pulling it off but it is such a such a like dun 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 you know moment like and i credit i'll credit the score for not doing that though jerry goldsmith you know legendary uh 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 composer did not overplay that part and that hand that moment uh when we when we learned that the sister is also the daughter you know and how all of this has come around and you know that that uh, the eyeglasses can't be mole raised because he didn't wear bifocals so that's that's how jake knows and it, when it all goes down in the end though man with the shootout and all of that i i was well, I've seen Faye Dunaway get shot up in, in movies before because I've seen Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Um, and I, I was sort of taken back to this, though, because I wanted to ask you, like, when the police are there and, the, and they're they're shooting and they, they ultimately gun her down, basically, as she's trying to drive away and everything. Um, did you do you think that was part of the ultimate cover up too? That, like they know they have to they have to shoot her um, because they can't let her get away now that she's revealed the truth to to this you know, private investigator. I, I think it's part of the, the cover up because I, maybe the police don't know, you know, the, the extent that we know, but they definitely got orders. Like if she tries to leave, you blow her away. Yeah. And, um, and I love the whole, how everything is, how this entire thing is filmed. You know, it almost turns into like, it, it comes in, it, it becomes a, if I remember correctly, like a steady can or handheld, I should say. Yeah. And, and it's almost like this, like newsreel, like documentary style. Like the the lighting is so harsh that you can see the reflection of the camera on like Jack Nicholson's face and like in the, in the background of the shot. And it's just it almost puts you, the audience member, into this horrific scene um, where you know Jack Nicholson. You know you see the 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 bullet hole in Faye Dunaway's head and just the mass chaos uh, that is of the scene. It almost reminds me of. Um, not the, the not the context, just like the pure chaos um, in a "Do the Right Thing" when Rodi, when Radio mm-hmm. Raheem dies. Um, yeah. it, it's 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 almost putting you into that moment where you just can't escape, and it's so immersive of that moment. And I think it's perfect for this. Like it's almost like a style change that really makes that final line "Forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown" so more so much more impactful because that you're you're seeing all those like 
on the, those very raw emotions of Jack Nicholson and just everyone in the scene. And you're seeing, um, uh, you know, this, this father character, what Noah cross, I believe yeah, from John yeah. Houston. Yeah. you're seeing him just like, Oh, come to me, come to me. And just like being so calm amongst everything here. And, and, you know, he still isn't so very much in control of the situation amidst chaos that he started Mm -hmm. so to answer your question yeah i definitely think this is all part of the cover-up and i think it really is just makes it so much more depressing when you know like when you see the extent of how because before it was just oh it was like a detective here or there maybe it was a sergeant or um like a lead detective but now it's like the power the implicit power that that has over just like the grunt the the boots on the ground the grunts just like Mm -hmm. okay like she gets away like blow her away and they do and uh and then we just end yeah cross is is carrying her away and the police are just like let it go and then you know giddy's you know associate is like yeah forget it you know it's just like we you got to walk away from the chaos and it's sort of like he slumps off into the world so much more jaded and cynical than he was to begin with yeah and 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 do we remind me do we get that like that classic like noir like walk into the sunset with a saxophone playing yeah yeah, i mean kind of just walks off and there's yeah i remember it's just like it's like we have that like jerry goldsmith kind of plays it yeah and that's what i'm saying like if you just quote that line and you do that walk off that's sort of like oh that's the trope but now you realize like how utterly depressing that is and i'll just tell you now folks if you haven't seen two jakes don't go there because it will not lift your spirits just your imagination is way better than what they came up with (laughs) for what happened to this character and it was supposed to be like a trilogy and i'm kind of glad it never happened because it would that second iteration is so bad i mean really it's one of the worst things i've ever ever tried to watch it's, it's uh, in my top 10 bad bad sequels uh for <laughs> sure but um yeah it's this is a I, I hate to say perfect ending because it's not a good ending. it's not a like happy ending but then again this film's not supposed to have those and life rarely has those and it's uh, you know it's one of those that it makes you just sort of shake your head and go ah, again and you're just sort of slumped you know it's uh i feel like I, I try to put myself in what the mindset of this 1974 audience would have been like walking out of this and the only thing i could compare it to in my lifetime mike was the way i felt walking out of the movie seven you know like Oof. you walk out of that movie and i remember i saw it with a friend of mine in college and we both walked out and just looked at each other like man that's uh, it just felt so just weighted down by everything in that because it's so dark and you know and it ends with great morgan freeman lines you know quoting poets about you know, the world's worth fighting for and you know it's good and worth fighting for and he's like i believe half of that you know or the back half of it it's like oh that's, that's such gut-wrenching stuff but it's it's on the same level as um forget it jake it's chinatown and um but i'll tell you man you can't forget chinatown this this movie is incredible and uh I, I don't know that we've, we've talked about it enough or whatever, but the, uh, John Alonso is the cinematographer of this, uh, another Hollywood royalty guy, and uh, just a tremendous use of the camera and the way everything looks. And, uh, you know, the fact that it's going to look a little grainy and stuff for you if you're if you're younger audience or whatever, by all means, do not let that get in your way. This this guy knows how to use the camera and made some great looking stuff. And it this, this is a tremendous looking film. Yeah, and I'll I'll get into my closing thoughts as well. Like I, this film is just so like it ends on such like a nihilistic moment of just like, yep, that's life, and uh, see ya. Yeah. Like, don't let the door hit you on the way out. 
And uh, but I think like those like films like this just have a, so much left for interpretation and just discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, but it does like just gut punch you, and especially when you have the context of that final line, "Forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown." Because I remember saying that to Brian, I'm like, Brian, I knew that line, but I didn't know the context of the scene. He's like, Yeah, like he's like, you didn't know the line. I'm like, No, I knew the line, just not the scene. He's like, Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. He's like, It's pretty fucking depressing. I'm like, Yeah, it is. Um, but this is, I think, one of the, I, I love that in this journey we've had uh, that that uh, the, the, all the setups to noir because I wasn't the most exposed to noir, so I'm glad that I could see what came before, how this changed the game, how it took how it paid homage, and then just completely changed the course of noir films, and then even seeing today modern uh, modern day, and that's like anyone if anyone is younger you know even younger than me listening to this you know it's i i really find it disappointing like i used to coach high school swimming and i would always recommend like older films to them uh you know with you know not just to be like a pretentious you know film buff but i'd always be like oh no you might actually like this i remember there's one kid uh he was a he was like a baseball fanatic kind of like a big meathead he was a nice kid and i recommend him like oh you should watch the warriors you know the old gang movie mm-hmm. from the 70s I'm like you would love it it's like oh from the 70s i'm like i know that's old to you but trust me you're gonna love it he watched <laughs> it and he would quote the warriors like the like for the rest of the season so right. i i think if anyone listening if you are on the younger if, you, if you're on the younger side if you're younger than me uh i'm 27 if you're uh if you're even open to the experience, like this is why we have to talk about film. This is why we have to see old films like or old quote unquote old films like this, um, because there's a lot of discussion to be had, um, whether it be about the art style, whether it be about the themes of the, of the film. This is why I love film because there's so many different avenues you can go down. Um, but back to uh, this film, Chinatown. Yeah. The performances are top of the game jack nicholson gives his most subtle performance i can i I can argue um as well as his uh most over the top well different ways you know not as the caricature that he is kind of known as now Mm -hmm. um i think the story is very gripping i and i just think that the ending is just it all builds to this this complex web just ends on it builds to this ending of a complete gut punch that my uh, my mouth was, or my jaw was on the floor. So absolutely thrilled that I was able to finally watch this, Jay. I'm glad you uh, you helped uh, enable me to, to get around to this. Um, so my final recommendation, um, I guess it's been a little while since we've done this. I, I always, I know, I remember I always did my letterbox score. So I gave uh, Chinatown a four out of five stars. Um, I think I'll probably have to go back because I think it's, I don't believe in four and a half movies. I, it's either four or five. And um, and I think of my fifteen hundred movies logged at this moment, I think I only have like forty movies that are five stars. But after having this conversation, I definitely want to go back, and I might change that to a five. We'll see. Um, it's 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 definitely a borderline five star movie. Um, and if we're going out of ten, I'm gonna give this a nine out of ten. This is a solid film, solid recommendation. Uh, really, really did enjoy this film. Uh, yeah, look, I, I echo all of that. I mean, it's it's one of those that I'm glad I finally checked off the list. You know, it's influenced so many things that I like and have wanted to see. 
uh, through the years and have seen and am glad I can kind of put together the punchline with the context now on this. Um, like I said, I think it's Nicholson's best performance, his finest of his, his incredibly storied career. And he's given a lot of really, really good ones. But And he's also given some really bad ones, let's not be honest. But, uh, but yeah, this one holds the test of time and it's definitely worth a shot. And again, even though it's, you know, the time subject is nearly 90 years old or 80 something years old now what you know when it's supposed to be set in the 30s still so prescient to today's time so yeah this is a solid for me and um i i would go i'd probably go like eight eight and a half or i'm i'm i'll, I'll do a half on on a uh, score or whatever but if i was doing stars it would definitely be a, a strong four um on uh, on letter i've recently just started a letterbox to count so it's i started it at the beginning of 2023 and I, i'm just sticking to the things that i'm watching in 23 and going forward i'm not going to go back and log everything i've ever seen because there's no way i could do that i don't think but um but yeah if i, I would do the, i would do the four as well on this and, and strong recommend and looking forward to diving into the 1980s next man because we're going to do some sci-fi dystopia and, uh, next which is going to be a lot of fun yeah yeah i'm looking forward to it and jay before we get going do you want to plug all your shows and and your accounts wherever we can find you yeah absolutely so um i'm, I'm easy to find on uh, twitter instagram and uh and letterboxd uh, now you can find me there it's at jay ran here um uh, if you follow me on uh, instagram it's almost all going to be about <laughs> the different runs i do and things like that but uh on uh, on the uh, letterboxd you'll see the stuff that i'm watching this year so you might get a sneak peek of stuff that's coming up for film strip or anything like that and then twitter i, I do that and of course filmstrippodcast.com is where you can find me and my crew and friends and lots of pod friends doing reviews of all kinds of different movies we're you know well over 300 episodes and we've got plans for some real fun stuff here in 2023 and beyond so come check us out and uh, share the show give us a, a, a review if you can and uh, we appreciate the support and once again Mike thanks for having me on the show look forward to it yeah, Jay, of course, it's always a blast talking movies with you, man. Um, yeah, and everyone, that concludes this episode of Amateur All Tours. You can follow us on Twitter at All Tours Pod, or you can email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at theamateuraltourspodcast at gmail.com. As always, guys, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time.